and welcome to Season 2 of the Smart Buildings Insider. I'm your host Indri, a global headhunter in the Smart Buildings market. I collaborate with the most exciting technology startups to some of the industry's key players. In today's episode, I speak with Jason Powell, Customer Success Manager at Buildings IoT, a global provider of data-driven solutions for the smart buildings. The Internet of Things is becoming an important part of the industry, but it comes with its own challenges and opportunities. I look forward to hearing Jason's insight into how smart buildings technology can change the future of buildings. So without further ado, here it is. So hi, Jason. Uh, really good to see you here uh, and speak to you today. Uh, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. It's great to be here. Amazing. Well, I guess, first of all, you know, really appreciate your time and, and talking with us uh, about IoT in general, what's what's going on in the market and putting your insights together. So just first of all, if you're OK to introduce a bit of a building's IoT background and what you guys doing. Yeah, absolutely. So Buildings IoT right now, we are focusing on providing our smart building platform, uh, whether it's just providing an API-only access that can act as an independent data layer or doing all the analytics and predictive maintenance and uh, cool guy front-end stuff that you know most customers see and know and think about when they think about the word smart building. So we did come from the MSI background and before that just uh, regular control sales. So we still do MSI work stateside, but primarily when we're looking at expanding, particularly in Australia and the UK and European market, it is just focusing on uh, providing the technology solutions to our customers and our partners. Mm-hmm. So kind of expanding quite globally right now, right? And how do you see the changes in different regions? Yeah, so for Australia, we have a partner down there that we work closely with, Control Tech, and we had a test and learn project with one of the universities down there, Monash, and we're definitely seeing just a lot more good questions coming from customers, uh, mm-hmm. a little more specific on their use case. Uh, and uh, with respect to the European market in the UK, obviously we have the reporting requirements and the mandates that are far and above what we're seeing stateside currently and even in Australia. So uh, again, very specific questions about like, how do I have a a good accounting of just what my total energy consumption is in a particular building or asset and, you know, uh, consistent reporting on that, you know, month over month or year over year, where before we found it was just, hey, I need something maybe to meet a uh, standard regulatory requirement or just give me your bare minimum BAS or analytics package. And it's interesting to see how uh, the regulatory environment is really driving use cases, which is a good thing for smart building adoption. Yeah, absolutely. I think people kind of covering different topics when it comes to smart buildings and is understanding a little bit different. Um, But if you're taking smart buildings as a holistic approach and then you start tackling you know different areas such as like uh, energy consumption and indoor air quality and also like how to get people back to the commercial buildings as well such as like offices so how do you see how did iot shape in the past years um do you see a a huge shift after the covid or it was quite like a slight increase uh, over the years i think for a number of you know class a real estate it went from 
nice to have some type of IoT sensor, whether you're just talking about people counting or indoor air quality, to you know, a must-have, some aspect of it. And you know, that, of course, is a huge driver of that is the pandemic, but also we're seeing uh, the, you know, the just the sheer amount and the production of these various sensors from different manufacturers really increasing. And that could be due to a, a few reasons. And you know, one of them, I think, is just the ability to have a good functional chip in a small device. Uh, you know, if, if you're just talking about like an arm chip, uh, arm chip that we have, uh, you know, in our Apple computers now, mm -hmm. uh, then it's really a, a vast difference from when you had to only buy an Intel or something. So I think having that smart intelligence in the device, um, whether it's a IEQ sensor, occupancy sensor, is much easier for manufacturers to produce um, at a lower mm -hmm. cost. So I think that helps increase adoption. So that that's the one big trend I see, but also with the residential market and just normal home use case of sensing technology. Uh, also growing with the pandemic, we see that a lot of the consumer behaviors around uh, just wanting to know information and understanding what is going on in the air in your building is coming back with people to the office. So before where somebody would never have asked, how much airflow do I have or it feels stuffy yeah, is exactly. the air, <laughs> you know, on in the office, uh, these are things that people can come into and have a sensor in their pocket and get that information. You know, you've read stories of parents hiding the sensor in the backpack of the kids going to school. So uh, I think that it's a very interesting time for that. Um, and also just being able to uh, the reduce friction of getting any type of IoT sensor. There's great sensors that you can really just stick on a wall or you know, put on a magnet on a ceiling grid that uh, mm -hmm. the install cost, of course, is oftentimes twice what a particular one sensor may be. So uh, having that reduced friction on the install is definitely helping drive increased adoption because it just helps bring the price down further. Yeah, it's very interesting you mentioned actually residential real estate. It feels like the shift is very much to commercial real estate, but I guess the next step probably will be quite a lot of residential real estate and, and new flats and, and flat buildings. And, mm -hmm. you know, people will be taking control of the, you know, indoor, let's say, <laughs> indoor air quality or how the smart building is inside where mm -hmm. they live, uh, which is very interesting. And uh, it says by, you know, 2025, there are predictions that there will be 75.44 billion installed IoT devices globally. Uh, and this is massive increase since like 2019 with 26.66 um, billion. So the future is IoT and it's widely used in the building environment. Um, what trends do we see currently? What you, you mentioned, Jason, a little bit. Um, what what you see like it's very important for people at this moment when it comes to sensors because there are a variety of choices <laughs> i think just a, a consistent user experience where you go and you know that particular device works and you're not questioning the validity of the data coming out of it that's a big one where before there was maybe you know a new technology that would go into a building and the building operator or an energy manager would question if that you know, energy consumption or that air quality reading was actually accurate. And 
I'm finding now that people are seeing the, uh, you know, the quality and trusting the data. So they're more likely to actually do so, make a decision based off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is a lot of information that you can get out of a building. Not all of it you necessarily need to do anything with, you know, and now we're, we're seeing where you can have a occupancy or presence detection system installed and they're going to take that compare it to a uh, a VAV system that's CO2 demand driven and make sure that hey when this particular conference room is at its maximum make sure you go ahead and adjust that set point up a little bit or something mm-hmm. you know that is a very um, uh, futuristic type of control scheme where you have a a different system informing and this is uh the bleeding edge right now this is not something that we see customers uh banging down the doors for Um, but it is where things are going where you can have an occupancy sensor that provides real-time or very near real-time data so that another system can use it Uh, Mm -hmm. where for years if you had a regular maybe pir sensor in your ceiling, the delay from when that data was collected at that device to when it was available in your BAS system wasn't much, but it was just substantial enough that you couldn't use it to like drive control. Yeah. So I think um, you know actually taking these disparate systems, not just collecting the information, but doing something with it, taking action by driving uh, you know some small aspect of a control sequence. Uh, is is one trend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other one that I'm definitely seeing and hearing about with customers is just the general usability, right? So, you know, with our consumer technology, we're very much uh, accustomed to things just working. You can hand anyone an iPhone and they know how to open the internet browser. And it's yeah. very fluid and intuitive experience. And I think this is starting to come into the built environment with our software and our user interfaces and even just the commissioning and startup of equipment before where you had to load up manufacturer software on your windows laptop you can't have mac and you have mm-hmm. to have a special cable and plug in to the controller directly to start it up uh, this is slowly going away you know it's not going to happen overnight but we're going to see where someone can show up with an ipad or an iphone or still a laptop, I'm sure, and just talk directly over Bluetooth and Mm -hmm. set that up. So then a more, uh, maybe more expensive resource, a technical resource can look at that device remotely and help commission finally, uh, you know, final commission it for you. So it's, um, it's very interesting. It's good for us where, you know, we're oftentimes just providing data over an API uh, when we can reduce the timeline for bringing information out of the building. Because that's the number one uh, roadblock that we see to adoption is just how hard it is sometimes to install something and actually get it all the way to day one usability. Yeah, it, I guess reduce that complexity of technology. People, you know, yes. at the end of the day, technology needs to make life easier <laughs> and complicated. Right. And, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, and you think about a lot of the large um, players in the space, they have huge professional services departments. So there's yeah. not been a big incentive for people providing these type of solutions to reduce the complexity of startup because yeah. they would just charge you for that. And that 
also ensured that the work was done correctly and everything was going to function and your warranty was going to be useful because you know it was started up correctly. But uh, you know, users and the technology is just going uh, the other direction where it doesn't require maybe five days of someone on site, but you can get away with just one day. Yeah. That, that's yeah. big for being able to get it in all the small buildings. I'm sure you hear, uh, you know, stateside, much of our real estate is very small footprint buildings. Mm-hmm. And um, if, it's, if it's the same in, in Europe and Asia, uh, then you want to make sure that it's, it's not any more difficult to get something set up than possible because on a small building, any extra friction, cost, or difficult difficulty in the process can really you know, stagnate or prevent the adoption of some of these IoT solutions that could really help you know, the occupant experience or even the operator experience. Yeah, I guess you you guys working quite a lot with facility managers, I, I presume, and, and real estate developers. And these people are very busy in their everyday life. Um, So, you know, obviously when you come in with digitalization or some kind of technology, it has to be simple and very easy to run. Um, Because if you're looking after like, you know, a lot of floors of the offices and everyone's different, it just takes a bit of a time, right? Um, So, yeah, great stuff. But what kind of challenges do you see like do you still facing quite a bit of a I have to say conservative opinions or you know skepticism in some ways absolutely there's you know two things and they're really behavioral one is just they have a memory of a project maybe they did two three five ten years ago mm-hmm. and it was a total dud and they just haven't forgotten. So now anytime they hop on a call to hear a pitch, they're just very suspicious and oftentimes totally warranted, you know, because they got sold something that didn't work. So you, we have to power through that and be very careful with our marketing message so that there's no um, question that we're delivering, you know, exactly what it is that we told you we were going to deliver. Because the type of solutions that are available, you know, from us or anyone on the market today are very powerful, but it's really oftentimes all in the execution of that platform. You know, if, if uh, Mercedes-Benz is put together at the factory poorly, when you get get a delivery, it's you're going to bring it back in the shop and you're going to think, wow, this is a terrible product, you know. But yeah, maybe return. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The other thing is still just um, the end user and understanding how to use it and the workflow change that a lot of this technology enables because if you just think about a demand-driven, um, you know, with a CO2 sensor VAV system, you used to have to really manually manipulate set points, um, or maybe on a semi-regular basis in a space, depending on how the use changes. But now that sensor is going to detect, detect CO2 levels, and it's just going to increase the airflow set point, and it's going to bring that fresh air in. So it's actually something that we have to train people to stop doing things. You know, and let the system do it and then just look at the oftentimes our insights or analytical outcomes to see what possibly could be going wrong, where the first level of troubleshooting is done by the computer and done by these data sets that we have our analytic rules running on top of. And then that informs what your first action is. And for years and in many buildings still today, you get a cold call, you get a hot call, you go out to the space physically and you start looking around. And that is such a deep neural pathway for so many people that are running our buildings. It's like, 
I get a call. I stand up from my desk and it's yeah. like, I'm already telling you to stop doing that and do something different. And that's a lot, you know, when you've yeah. done something for a long time and you're an expert. So that's why we have customer success at Buildings IoT, because we find that once we deliver your technology, whatever solution it may be, because we do a lot for different use cases for customers, uh, they need someone who's not just regular technical support to help them increase adoption and actually have an enjoyable user experience. Because mm -hmm. no one wants to deliver a smart building solution and then no one ever logged into it, right? Yeah. We really, at, at this point, are uh, at an impasse where we really do need to make sure this carbon consumption is <laughs> driving downward as fast as we possibly can. And oftentimes that just means uh, having operators, whether it's in the building or an energy manager over a portfolio, uh, looking at the data and, and making informed decisions, mm -hmm. uh, but also using all their years of experience to you know, drive to resolution, whatever task may be on their desk. Because we're not saying the technology is replacing all your expertise. It's really an augmentation. It's a kind of a, a force multiplier in a way where if you had one building engineer covering three buildings within you know, a couple block radius, maybe that building engineer can be responsible with 10 buildings with a really good smart building uh, platform that's giving him 24 seven analytics on top of whatever data points are coming out of that equipment. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Jason. I think it's just, it gives you reliable data. Obviously, mm -hmm. as, as long as you know that data is reliable, if that makes <laughs> right. sense. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, that's a yeah. big part of our work day to day. <laughs> exactly. Um, but that's that's good. Uh, you've mentioned before about the wireless uh, kind of sensors and then Bluetooth connection mm -hmm. connectivity. Just like out of interest, um, do you get quite a lot of, you know, questions about like cybersecurity, for example, when it comes to IoT? Absolutely. So for large enterprise customers, they're often going to send you, usually it's still an Excel sheet, and it's just a hundred questions about your technology, how you operate as a business, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and for us, most of our workload, customer workload, especially is in AWS. So we get all the cybersecurity benefits that that has out of the box. And that saves us a lot of development time because we're not trying to meet all these cybersecurity requirements. Uh, mm -hmm. But with the devices in the building specifically, that's something that you know, definitely, I have sat in meetings with security engineers, I've created documentation and usually would include a system diagram with all the IPs and ports that it's gonna communicate on and then you know, review with them what it is that we need to do uh, to to be able to get this system online. And that's something that before, you know, definitely never happened. You just kind of went in and you installed it and maybe the DHCP server just gave you an address. Maybe you just put a static one in and it automatically showed up on the network. But those days are, are long gone. So I think if your customer is not asking cybersecurity questions. You know, the onus really is on the providers to advise them on, on what the best practice is because it's not a one size fits all approach. You really want to reduce, you know, in the security vernacular, that threat surface. So, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. having that segmented network is the right thing to do where everything is on its operational technology network. Other times when you have that converged architecture, where it's all on your you know, corporate land and you have a segmented portion of it for your devices, for your operational stuff, 
that's the best practice. Um, but there is no silver bullet and good security practice really is a function of your process as an organization. So mm-hmm. are you, um, you know, propping doors open if you're thinking about physical security or are yeah. you actually monitoring your firmware and making sure that it's getting updated when releases come out? That's something that, you know, we've uh, built for customers before where they just want one page to go to to say, what is the version of this? Because they have yeah. so many devices, you know, and then that way they can run a report. And when a, you know, CVE comes out and says, hey, here's a critical vulnerability, mm-hmm. uh, you can easily validate that off of your database to see if you need to actually take any action. Um, and that process needs to become more and more automated because it's very onerous to go through and <laughs> look and see if something needs to be upgraded. It can yeah. be painful. So I, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any solution provider that's, um, you know, going to be getting into uh, especially highly regulated spaces like, you know, banks, uh, you have to be able to, to meet those cybersecurity requirements. And we're all, we're all better for it, no doubt. It's not getting um, any easier to, to deploy stuff in a secure manner, but it's definitely 100%. Yeah. Thanks so much for that, Jason. I, it's very interesting because I think a lot of people talking about cybersecurity when it comes anything about technology. So it's very interesting, your, you know, to hear your insights. So just probably summarize, um, what kind of future do you see for IoT then or, or steps in the, you know, in, in upcoming years, let's say? Yeah, I, I do think it's going to kind of exit where it is now in a quasi silo for many of the really good uh, IoT devices and sensing technologies. Mm-hmm. and Things are going to coalesce under different platforms for different people, but generally in uh, a format that different use cases are all going to go to the same place to get the information. You know, and people definitely refer to the single pane of glass. I'm generally moving away from that term because there's always going to be one or two things that just doesn't make sense to bring into that master you know, system. But I think having to log into your air quality app and logging into your uh, your tenant app and then having to log into your work order app if you're a, a building manager, I think IoT is going to enable the reduction of those apps. And you're just going to really, we're going to slowly see us get down to one or two apps for building operations. And the cloud to cloud integration on the back end that companies like myself do a lot of. Uh, will continue to to drive that ability to reduce the number of a- applications you have. And you do just go to one place for it. Because if I'm an occupant in a building uh, and you tell me like, hey, I have to install an app to do something, uh, I would hope it's the only app I have to install. And I would actually prefer, I just go to a web page. Give me a login. I'll just open it in my browser. You know, That's how we deliver our uh, command and control functionality to mobile. So that way we don't have to try to, you know, train a user on how to <laughs> log in and download an app and, and, and use that different functionality. It's uh, it's not intuitive for everyone yet. Uh, you know, it may seem kind of uh, difficult to imagine, but a lot of people that are running buildings um, ha- have done so well before cell phones were around. Mm-hmm. And uh, using a phone for work is still, uh, even for me, for my day-to-day, I'm on the laptop most of the time. So, you know, that's... The one trend, but also I think um, 
the other one that sticks out for us that comes up is, you know, how can we reduce the number of things that we have to install in the space? And this kind of goes back to something I said earlier, where I've, we have a occupancy sensor for lighting, occupancy sensor for your VAS system, and maybe you have a CO2 sensor for your VAV, and then you have an air quality sensor all in the same space. Those device counts should start to reduce. Definitely dedicated devices for certain critical operations is not going to change, but maybe you can get away with uh, just having one air quality sensor in your space and you don't have to have redundancy uh, in non-critical spaces. So definitely those are two things that I see kind of happening at our customer environments or just hearing about from questions. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. Thank you so much, Jason, for for your insights and best of luck with expansion as well. Uh, Thank thank you for being here. Thank you all for listening. And uh, yeah, speak to you soon then. Bye. So that was my chat with Jason Powell, Customer Success Manager at Buildings IoT. I'd like to thank Jason again for his time and valuable insights. I hope anyone who's interested in any of the points we discussed during the podcast gains something from this episode. For plenty more chats with industry leaders and innovators within the smart building space across the globe, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite streaming platform today. Thanks again for listening. I've been your host, Indra Shemeshkevchute, and bye for now.